Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now, Pastor Joel continues his study in the book of James. We're in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, with the message, A Different Kind of Kingdom. I'm going to start the message this morning from reading from James chapter 2. It's on page 950 in your pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow along. It'll be on the screen as well. We're in a series in the book of James, uh, and we're in the second chapter now. So if you wouldn't mind, we're just going to stand as I read just the first verse, James 2 and verse 1. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. We'll stop right there. As we strive to live out our faith, as we, as we strive to hold on to this faith in Jesus Christ, he says, to show no partiality. This kingdom that, we're, that Jesus has come to, to build and, and, and reign here on earth, it has no partiality. It's an upside down kingdom and all are welcomed into it. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your scriptures, your holy word that was... Uh, written for us, for our benefit today. Lord, would it be alive and active? Would it speak to our our hearts? Would it convict in areas that we need to be convicted? Would it bring us uh, to be humble before your word? And Lord, would it strengthen and encourage in ways where we feel weak? Lord, would you help us in our our faith to hold on to you? And Lord, pray that the next few minutes that you would open our eyes, we can see, Lord. We'd Uh, hear the words that you'd want us to hear, that it would speak right to our heart. Lord, that you would uh, be moving in this place and that we wouldn't leave here the same as when we came. We'd love you more. We'd be more moved to your your spirit and the truth. And Lord, that we would reflect that to the world around us as well. Lord, soften our hearts so that we can understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have have a seat. Uh, before we actually get to the message of the letter of James, I actually want to take this time to introduce you to uh, a really good friend of mine. His name was Ben Mitchell. Um, we moved from Ohio, uh, the end of my eighth grade year, down to Georgia at the beginning of my freshman year in high school, and it was quite a move. Uh, from the north all the way to the deep south in Georgia, we moved to the very poor area of town in South Augusta. Uh, and, and if you've ever moved from the north to the south, the deep south, you know it's a culture shock, as they don't take kindly to Yanks uh, down there. Uh, the language was different. We even had a hard time understanding people at the beginning. We were, so, we were just so different. And I moved uh, to three different high schools my first two years in, in high school as we were transitioning jobs and getting different places. That's how we ended up in South Augusta, a really poor area of town. We were always looking for where we belonged, uh, these Yanks that are down in the South. I remember my freshman year, I was in a, a, a math class, 
and the teacher asked me a question, and I said, yeah. And you can imagine in the South, when I said, yeah, the teacher corrected me and like rebuked me in front of the whole class. In this classroom, you will address me as yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am. And I was like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and I learned how to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. Uh, but always looking for where uh, I belonged. Well, we happened to end up going to uh, Southgate Baptist Church in a South Augusta, uh, Georgia, right next to uh, Peach Orchard Road. That's kind of classic, isn't it? Peach Orchard Road, uh, Southgate Baptist Church, really small little little Baptist church, uh, really poor, uh, and, and, and we needed everybody to help in that little church. And so, so everyone did. Everyone just uh, kind of came around. We, we were a community. It didn't matter if we were Yanks in that place. Everywhere, everywhere else out in the world, it was like, where do you belong? We'll tear you down. If you're not like us, we're going we're gonna to criticize you and put you down. But at Southgate Baptist, it was like, uh, it, was just, it was just different. So I began to help out uh, there. My sophomore year, I helped out in the soundboard in the back, uh, right next to uh, my newly found friend, Ben Mitchell. Uh, ben Mitchell was at least 40, maybe 50 years older than me. He was an older black man. I can still picture his face in my head. He'd often wore a hat. He had a scruffy uh, white beard, and he was one of the most gentle, kind, patient men I think I've ever met, which is a little bit shocking because he spent his whole career in uh, the, the military. Oh, my first job in South Augusta was in a restaurant called Poe Folks. That's how Poe we, we were. I totally forgot that. It was, and it was a horrible job. That's <laughs> probably why I've forgotten it. Uh, when we were, we were down there, uh, so sitting next to Ben Mitchell, he was military. He was a career military guy. Fort Gordon is right in, in Augusta, and that's where he came from. So 40 years, uh, he was, or like 35 years, he was in the military, however long. Uh, he spent a ton of time in the military as a cook. Uh, and I remember sitting in the back, and before and after service, Ben and I would often just share stories. Here I am, this teenager from the north looking for a place to belong, and I'm sitting next to, to Ben, who, and we'd just share stories. And Ben, ben shared with me stories I still remember, because he was in the Korean War, uh, and as a, a black enlisted officer in the Korean War, he told me just horrible stories of how he was treated over there by his own, uh, like, own army. They would call him all kinds of names and throw things at him and just like treat him absolutely horrible in there. And I felt this is this is just wrong. This is Ben. This is my this is my friend. How could you treat someone like that just because their face looked different than you? Uh, it actually really impacted me. I mean, I'm remembering these stories even even now. But I, I, as I was reflecting about it, I, I think the reason Ben told me those stories and. Behind that soundboard on those little broken chairs as we were sharing life together, because I think Ben knew something different. He knew the world out there is it's full of hate and dividing and criticism and put you down. It'll, it'll just push people down if you're not like them, or it'll, it'll raise people up if you think you can get something from them. But in, in God's church, in the kingdom of God, this is totally different. You're, you're treated differently here. There's no, there's no partiality or prejudice or, or racism in the church. We're all one. We belong together. And, and, and there was room in a chair for a, a white Yankee boy from up north who didn't know anything and was looking for a place to belong next to Ben, my friend. We, he was my friend. I, I really uh, cared about him. The kingdom of this world, there's filled, I mean, we just look on the news. 
It's violent and racist, divided. It's just pushing people down all the time. But the kingdom of God, there's seat. For me, next to my friend Ben. For this uh, teenager who didn't know where he belonged. And an old war vet who spoke very graciously and mercifully with him. Ben understood the message that we're going to see in the book of James today. He, he got it. Uh, unlike this world, we belong to a much different kingdom. If Jesus is your king, you belong to this unique community of people that's being shaped by the king. And I imagine if Ben was with us here today, he died several years ago, if he was sitting with us here today in that broken chair, he would share with each one of you of his experience with the kingdom of God in his life and how it was such a different kingdom than the world out there. You can almost hear his voice in the message of James today. Well, in our section today, uh, in the second chapter, we'll uh, look at the first 13 verses. And James is going to tell us uh, basically three things, three differences in the kingdom that we experience out there in the kingdom of God. Uh, The king and the way we we run our lives out there in the world and the king and the kingdom that we experience in fellowship with Jesus and others, it's completely different. And he's going to highlight some of these things. We're going to see these these three areas. We're going to see our glory, what we think is great for us. We're going to look after our own glory versus God's glory, his glory. We'll see our law, how we operate and run things by, and then we'll see his law. We'll see our mercy and his mercy. So we're going to look at three areas, glory, law, and mercy. Comparing ours to to God's, the the kingdom out there versus the kingdom that God is creating within his church. These two kingdoms, they're always competing in us as well. So here's the first one. Our Our glory versus God's glory. In the very first verse, he calls him the Lord of glory. The glory of the Lord. James 2 and verse 1. If you want to follow along with me, we're page 950 in your pew Bibles. James 2 and verse 1. It says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, oh, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, "Eh, stand over there, sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, hear, my beloved brothers, sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones you, who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? Let's, let's stop right there. He's saying if you are seeking, if you are looking on the outside, making those judgments, he says you've got it all wrong. That's not how my kingdom operates. If you're seeking your own glory or looking at the glory of, uh, of men and women around you, rather than holding on to the glory of God, you've got it all wrong. See, there's this choice before us. Every time we enter into, uh, 
anywhere where there's people, into any room, a classroom, a store, a, a gathering like this as the church, there, there's a choice before us. Whose glory will you seek? Will you seek your own glory? Will you seek the glory of other humans? Or will you seek God's glory? Let's look, what, what's it mean to seek your own glory? In this passage, it, it, it's displayed by partiality. Partiality. Partiality is saying, I'm going to put these people down a little bit, and I'm going to raise these uh, people up. I'm making a judgment. I'm uh, making a distinction between this person and this person. Uh, the Greek word partiality actually means to receive someone's face. It's, it's to see someone's face and go, that's, that's what I th I'm thinking about you. I'm judging them uh, by their face. You're looking on the outside of someone and making a judgment. You know, I'm cooler than that guy. Oh, but that guy's cooler than me. Uh, I, wish, uh, I wish he knew a little more. This guy's really goofy. You, you, make, uh, you make, based on the appearances, you make this assumption or this judgment, and it's usually for your own glory. Will this person make me look better or worse? Can I get something from this person, or does this person have nothing to offer me, and I'll put them down? And we're all, uh, we're all tempted to do this, to look at someone's face and make a, a judgment. Uh, there was a Princeton study that came out a couple years ago that this, I think it was a psychologist that said, I wonder, I wonder how long it takes for someone to make a first impression. That you see someone's face, and all of a sudden you have this first impression. So he did all these studies and interviewed all these people. And he came down to, you know how long it takes to make a first impression? Looking at someone's face and making a judgment. A tenth of a second. A tenth of a second. You, you look at someone and you'll automatically uh, think, oh, this is where they're at. I'm classifying. It's almost like we're supercomputers going through our world and scanning everyone's face and going, better, worse, better, worse, worse. I don't like them. I like them. They have something for me. That's all, like, our, we're just almost made to do that. But, but God's like, don't, don't do that. This Princeton study said, like it or not, judgments based on facial appearance play a powerful role in how we treat others and how we get treated. We categorize people, we give value and worth based on simply by appearances. And it's all really, if you think about it, it's all in relationship to our own glory. If this person has glory that I think, boy, this is, they've got something there, I'm, I can get something from them, that's for my glory. But in the kingdom of God, that's not how it works. It's not how it should work. It's not how it operates. We don't push people down or raise people up like, this person's really good, this person's really bad. Instead, he says, hold on to Jesus, the glory, the Lord of glory. You see, even in that first line, that we're holding on to the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Well, that's an interesting, uh, in Greek, it's interesting how it is, because the emphasis really on uh, hold on to the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory. The glory. It's getting your eyes up and going, you, you see the glory, and who that glory is, is in Jesus. As you look at someone, are you seeing God's glory displayed in them, but maybe broken in some ways? Are you seeing... a? a Jesus, a king who was born to a super poor family. 
who was rejected, who served people, who laid down his life, people, who sought out the poor, the lonely, the rejected, and at the same time, the rich and the powerful. He didn't care. He didn't judge them by their face. He looked at their hearts, and he sought the glory of God. To belong to the kingdom of God, we must seek his glory. And if we're seeking his glory, if we're asking, and when we look at people, Lord, what's your glory look like in my relationship to this person? Where's your glory at, Lord? If we're doing that, we stand in the sandals of Moses on Mount Sinai, who is speaking with the Lord, and he said, Lord, show me your glory. And God says, hmm, not at this time. That's a bad idea. It'll, no person can see my face and live. So, so hide over there in the rock. I'm going to shield you over there, and I'm going to pass before you. And you're, you're going to see this like radiance of the glory, but not my glory. And then I'm going to describe to you what this glory is like in the person of, in the, person of uh, the Lord. He says in Exodus 34, 6, as he's passing before Moses, who says, show me your glory. He says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He said, Lord, show me your glory. And he was waiting for something powerful or mighty or impressive, like, wow, that's so powerful. You can pick up that mountain and do that. And the Lord says, here's my glory. I'm merciful and gracious. I'm slow to anger and abounding in love. You see, rather than than seeing faces and judging people, I I think we should be citizens of the kingdom and say, Lord, would you show me your glory as I interact with people this week? How, How would Jesus see this person? Merciful, gracious, loving, patient. Because we belong to a much different kingdom. It's not based on our faces or our histories or our experiences, but it's, it's all based on the king's glory. And in a word, what that kingdom looks like is impartial. Here's the second thing. First one is our glory versus God's glory. The second one is our law versus his law. James 2 in verse 8 says this, If you really fulfill the royal law, According to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but... But do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Let's stop right there. He sets this whole thing up. If you really want to fulfill the royal law, royal law, and if you look in your, like your uh, index in your Bible and you're like, royal law, where's that found? And you'll find it nowhere else other than this place, the royal law. So when you scour commentaries, and every commentary is like, I'm not quite sure why he said royal law, because we have no other reference to royal law other than what it says right here. So here's the things we know about what the royal law is. Royal means of or pertaining to the king. It's a kingdom law, the royal law. 
It's almost as if James looks back on the Old Testament and sees how King Jesus put his seal of approval and a stamp on a couple of the laws specifically and says, this is what the king wants. This is, what he's, this is the edict that he wants, the kingdom law. And that kingdom law is to love your neighbor as yourself. The kingdom law is to love. So uh, we get this idea of law of what you're to do and what you're to, to not do. But here the royal law is, this is what I want you to be about. This is what I want you to do. They come to Jesus and ask him, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, this is part of what he quotes, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. He's picking up from uh, the Old Testament. We find this command, this love your neighbor as yourself, taken from Leviticus 19, our, one of our favorite books of the Bible. Right, church? Amen? <laughs> Leviticus 19. There's, a, there's a, a depth of richness there in Leviticus, though, that I think we often uh, miss out on. If you go back to Leviticus 19 and you read the whole section of Scripture where he's taking this from, it's actually, it's actually the point where it's like the mic drop at the very end. Love your neighbor as yourself, mic drop. But if you were a, a student of the law, you would know the whole, this whole section. Let me read just a part of it from Leviticus 19. We'll just pick it up in verse 17, just for, for time. He said, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord." Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we took time to actually go back and read all of it, Leviticus 19, this whole section, and what you would find, there, there's a pattern there that's going through the whole thing that I think love your neighbor as yourself sums up the, the whole uh, section of it. And as you'll see in this section, if you count all the times it says not, it, it, there's so many prohibitions in Leviticus 19. Don't lie, don't swear, don't steal, don't take revenge, don't push people down. And then he gets to the end and says, here's, here's the opposite of it. I want you to love. So you have a choice. Are you going to fulfill the law? Well, tell me what to do. And we're like, well, we didn't do this, and we didn't do this, we didn't do this. And he's like, boy, there's, there's one that you're missing. There's one that you're This is the whole heart of the law. So one of our kids, and if you know our family, you'll know exactly who this is. We would go into stores when they were little. Uh, and he'd go in, and like most kids, uh, he'd, his eyes would get really big, and he'd be like, ooh, so many things to touch and play with. And we would go into the store, and we'd, we'd tell him, this is no touch. Don't touch anything. He's a good kid, but he would go in, and he'd be like, ooh, but can I touch that? And we'd say, no, no touch. Look at me. Don't touch anything. Okay, I won't touch that. But can I do this? <laughs> no, don't do that. Well, can I just feel it? No. Can I lick it? No. Don't, don't touch. And he'd be like, can I do this? And he'd look at you, right? Side eyes, like, I'm not touching it. Am I obeying, am I obeying your word? I'm not touching it. And we're like, no, don't touch anything. This is, I didn't have this in a minute. So we, we created this chalk line in our driveway and said, don't cross that chalk line because it's the street. And he didn't cross this chalk, uh, like the chalk line with his bike, but he went over to Don and Sandy's, our neighbors, and then went out in the street. Because he didn't, he said, I didn't cross the line. 
And we're like, oh my goodness, here's a circle. Don't get out of the circle. (laughs) Okay, so what James is saying here, he's saying, here's the royal law. I want you to love. I want you to love the person that's so difficult for you to love. And we come back and go, I didn't kill him. So am I good? It's like, did you love him? Well, I, I mean, I didn't like covet the stuff he had. I haven't talked bad about him. I haven't gossiped about him. Do I? Am I good? Jesus, says, did you love him? I mean, he's standing there. We haven't even fought, so that's good, right? Like, I haven't thought ill intention in my heart. And Jesus is like, did you love him? See, we have all these commands that are given, and we really have a, a choice. He says, if you... If you love your neighbor as yourself, all these other commands are going to, you're going to fulfill them all. You're going to be doing really well. But if you're looking like, well, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, am I okay? He's going to say, did you love them? That's what I want from you. Well, I think so often we come to the law, the royal law, and we ask the wrong questions. I didn't do anything bad this week. And Jesus said, did you, did you love your neighbor as yourself? I mean, the guy that like, it's so hard to get along with at work, did, did you love him? What about that in-law that you're really struggling with or your sibling at home and they're just so mean to you? And Jesus says, well, I didn't punch him this week. Yeah, but did you love him? See, the royal law is actually not about uh, how good of appearance that we can be. The royal law is actually how, how well are you loving your neighbor? It says you, you can worry about all the knots. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Or you can just worry about one, loving God and loving others. Can you imagine what it would be like if you were part of a community that you actually loved the people next to you and they felt your love? The person next to you treated you like you'd want to be treated, and you treated them like you wanted to be treated. There was this care and concern. We saw it demonstrated in even our prayer time. Imagine that kind of community. Not a bunch of really good people who say, well, I haven't done that. It's a community that cared, cried, celebrated together. That would be a different kind of kingdom, wouldn't it? Well, his law versus our law. Here's the third, the third one, last one. Our mercy versus his mercy. James 2 and verse 12 says, So speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty, of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And I think mercy triumphs over judgment. And I would say, probably for most of us here, of course we want to extend some mercy. I think everyone wants to extend uh, some mercy. Uh, Of course, up to a certain limit. I mean, we don't want to get run over, right? We don't want to be abused. Uh, So, of course, we extend mercy uh, up to a certain point. And usually that point is uh, to protect myself. I mean, if you just extend mercy, it's a slippery slope. Where does mercy, where does mercy end? And the point where mercy ends for you is the point where you pick up the judgment 
on yourself. When, when you don't extend mercy for someone else, you're saying, at this point, I want to carry my own sin and brokenness. I had a professor at seminary. You know, in seminary, they ask all these, like, tough questions. You know, did God make a boulder so big he couldn't pick up or any of those things? They asked this professor this question, and his response back was very, like, I would say controversial because most of the students were, like, shocked. You're kidding. You would allow that? You would do that? You would, you would be a part of that? And this professor who's steeped in the Bible says, Yes, because if I err, I want to err on the side of grace upon grace, because I know the grace that's been given to me. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Bob Moffat who was with Interact for a long time. He's 90 years old, been involved in ministry and missions, m I think, almost most of his life. Uh, just a beautiful saint. But he had a lot of tough experiences in ministry, it was burnt many times. Uh, feels like so many times that things were dumped on him that he didn't even de deserve. And you see people normally in ministry or later on that have been hurt and burnt so much, usually bitter or like grouchy. And Bob's like the exact opposite. He's the, one of the most gracious guys. I had breakfast with him a long time ago and I said, Bob, how is it? How, how is it that you can be so happy and free and you've lived all these really tough experiences? And Bob says, all I have to do is remember how much I've been forgiven. When I know how much I've been forgiven, it's so much easier to forgive other people. To the extent to which you give mercy, you'll receive mercy. But to the extent to which mercy runs short, you're saying, basically, I want to be the judge. I want to sit on the throne and make these differences. This person's lower, this person's higher, this person's done too, too much bad. The, the text, our text today ends with this really powerful line, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. There's so much packed in those uh, few words. And so rather than unpacking it, I want to show you a picture of where I think this is illustrated, again, from uh, the Old Testament. We get a picture of this in the tabernacle. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's actually within the holy of holy places. There um, in the holy of holies was the, the throne room of God where God sat and ruled and reigned. And right in the middle of that was something called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, I'm sure you, uh, we know it. I talked about it a couple weeks ago, Indiana Jones, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, we all kind of know. But did you know there was a seat for the Ark of the Covenant? There, there's, a, there's a lid on it that has a name. Uh, we read how all of this... Ark of the Covenant was, was made in Exodus 25. That's a few chapters before Moses is saying, show me your, your glory. Let me just read a, a, just a little bit of it. Exodus 25 and verse 20. It says, the cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces one to another towards the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. And I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I give you in commandment for the people of Israel. Let's stop right there. Did you get the name of the, the, the top of the ark of the covenant? It's the mercy seat. The mercy seat. 
And, and inside this Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat, which we later find out is the throne of God, it's where, it's where God is sitting on the mercy seat. We find out in, in the Ark of the Covenant, there's certain uh, things that he says to put in there. And one of them is uh, the Ten Commandments. It's the, it's the law. It's the judgment for, for people. The mercy seat was over the Ten Commandments, or over uh, judgment, the mercy seat over the commandments. And as long as Jesus was sitting on the mercy seat as king, mercy triumphed over judgment. But to the point that we're like, yeah, I think I can take it from here. Once you get off that mercy seat, because I don't think they deserve mercy, and we put ourselves on top of this, this Ark of the Covenant and where the judgment comes in. And then all of a sudden we're absorbing the judgment for our own sin. It, it's all in relationship to who is Jesus king of the kingdom. It, is mercy triumphing over judgment? Not that he just forgets about the judgment, but that he's actually absorbed in himself the payment for our sin. When we push him off, we stand there in place of Jesus and God, and we incur judgment and wrath from God. But when we allow him to be king and develop his kingdom, then all of a sudden we can receive the mercy through his death and resurrection. Well, what would it look like? What would it look like for us to belong to a kingdom where Jesus is ruling and reigning as king? What would it look like if somebody entered that door and were like, this is a different kind of kingdom? Like, all are welcomed here. It doesn't matter uh, if you grew up in the church or didn't grow up in the church. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. It doesn't matter if you're a southerner from Georgia or a Yank from Ohio. Everyone was welcome there. Everyone was re received that's a great theory, right? But then you're like, well, how do you put Democrats and Republicans in the same pew? The rich and the poor. The vaccinated, the unvaccinated. How do you put me and Ben in the same pew together? It's only through the blood of our great King, Jesus, who sits on the mercy seat. We actually have a picture of this. This is what I want to end end with today. We get a picture of the kingdom of God around that throne. And, and on that throne, Jesus as the Lamb is sitting uh, on the mercy seat. Look, Revelation 7 and verse 9 says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you see it? There's the Lamb sitting on the mercy seat, the throne room, and everyone is there. Ukrainians and Russians together. Serbians and Slovenes and Croats together. Everyone together in this multitude of languages, like this kaleidoscope of languages that are all surrounded this, the, the throne of God because of the mercy that he has given to everyone who is welcomed into his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, hold on to the Lord of glory. 
And in doing that, love your neighbor and don't show partiality. Let's respond in singing, but first let me pray. Lord, thanks for this, um, for this tough message. Lord, it's so in us to, to judge uh, people, to be kind to some and uh, extend a little bit more um, authority over others or, or see people for what we can gain from them. And Lord, I pray that, that coming before your throne, the, the mercy that we've received, Lord, we would extend that to everyone else. And that people even who have come here today who are looking for a place to belong, a place to, uh, to be welcomed, even with their, um, all the stuff they bring from their past, that they would find a place in your kingdom today, that they would throw down all their sins and their burdens and their shame at your uh, throne, at the foot of the cross, and receive your salvation and mercy, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus paid the price for all of us if we would just accept it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.